How's everybody feeling today? Feeling good? Oh, let's thank Michael and Mandy and Jeff for leading us in worship today. How many of you know uh, you're just blessed by being here today? You're blessed by being here today. I went outside for a little bit. Uh, today it's beautiful out there. And I do want, you know, I do wear a mask from time to time. Not very often, but I have this one right here that I wear. Yeah, right there. Yeah. And if they lose today, you can have this, okay? I'll just give it to you, anybody who wants it. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. How many of you have uh, enjoyed our study through the book of Nehemiah? You're enjoying this, all right. Well, we're in the fourth week of a 10-week series. We're just kind of going through this whole book chapter by chapter, trying to teach you and uh, want you to learn what's in this book. We started at chapter 1. And uh, just to catch you up to speed, in case you're a visitor here today, Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is a Jew that was born in exile a thousand miles uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, he's a cupbearer to a king named King Artaxerxes, a heathen king. And um, Jerusalem has been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. The temple was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. 130 years earlier. Nehemiah, he's in exile, and he gets a report after 130 years that the walls are still destroyed. He, it bothers him. He weeps. He cries. He fasts. He mourns, and he prays, and he asks God to give him favor to do something about this. Well, in chapter 2, God answers his prayer. Uh, he gets an audience with King Artaxerxes, and the heathen king gives Nehemiah, in chapter 2, he gives him permission, he gives him uh, a passport, he gives him papers and provisions to go back a thousand miles to Jerusalem to rebuild walls that have been destroyed for 130 years. That's chapter 2. In chapter 3, Nehemiah uh, gathers the people together. And if you were here last week, I tried to read the names of all those people. But last week we saw where the people began to rebuild those walls. And they stood shoulder to shoulder on that wall and began to rebuild those walls. And today we come to chapter 4. And if you have your outline inside your bulletin, I want to speak to you on this subject, times of discouragement. Because as you see in our text, anytime someone decides to do something good for God, the enemy, the devil, and opposition, those who oppose God's work, they come out of the woodwork. And what I have learned from being in ministry my entire life, that one of Satan's greatest tools to defeat us is the tool of discouragement. Did you know that there's a virus that is sweeping our country today? It's not the common cold. It's not the COVID virus. No, this outbreak is as deadly as any outbreak our nation has ever experienced. It's called the epidemic of discouragement. It's a universal problem. None of us are immune to it. It's a reoccurring problem. It can hit you again and again and again. 
It's highly contagious. It spreads by even casual contact. And there is no vaccine. It's called discouragement. And I'm glad you came to church today because in chapter 4, which I'm going to read, we will find the causes for discouragement and we will find the cure for discouragement. It's important that you're here today. I cannot tell you the number of people that have told me in recent weeks, and even I myself have experienced, for some reason, their people are more discouraged than they've ever been in their entire life. So it's good that you came to church today, amen? So take your Bibles, take your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter four, and what we're going to see, I'm gonna just read through uh, like the first 15 verses, and then we're gonna get on our outline and just go through it as quickly as we can. But as I read through this in chapter four, you're gonna see these three guys that showed up in chapter two, those three troublemakers, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They showed up in chapter two, they show up here in chapter four, and guess what? They're gonna show up again in chapter six. These guys are relentless. And it's just, it drives the point that anytime anybody tries to do something great for God, that the opposition is always going to raise its ugly head. So as we read through this, you're going to see those three troublemakers. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, so let's read. A good thing we don't have all these terrible, difficult names to read. The first guy is Sam Ballot. Everybody say Sam Ballot. Verse 1, he's kind of the ringleader of the three amigos. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, again, go back to chapter 3, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they once again offer sacrifices? And remember last week, chapter 3, they started off rebuilding the sheep gate where the sheep would come in uh, into the temple area to be sacrificed. He said, will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, he actually, he's uh, trying to crack a joke here. He says, what they are building, why, even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And then Nehemiah did what? He prayed. Verse 4. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults, God, back on their own heads Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So, verse 6, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached about half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart, we looked at last week, anytime God's people work shoulder to shoulder and you work with all of your heart, you can accomplish anything for God. Amen? You should be clapping at that. Yeah. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, 
the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod, when they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said that the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Verse 11, also our enemies have told us that before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them, and we will put an end to this work. Verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, not once, not twice, not seven times, but ten times they told us that wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. And therefore I, Nehemiah, stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. In the last two verses, verse 14 and 15, after I looked things over, I, Nehemiah, said, I stood up and I said to the nobles, to the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to his own work. May God bless the reading of his word here today. In this story, there are four things that can and will lead to times of discouragement, and they're all in the text. Number one, write this down, is fatigue. Fatigue. It's said there in verse 10 that the strength of the laborers is giving out. These people had worked so hard, they were exhausted. Their strength was giving out. Whenever you get physically tired, physically worn down, it's almost impossible to remain emotionally and spiritually up. So one of the most important things you can do when you're feeling discouraged is to get some rest. Sometimes, the most spiritual thing you can do is to go to bed early and just sleep. Now, just so you know, sleeping in church doesn't count. <laughs> Give an elbow to your friend and tell them to wake up. Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, once said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. It's interesting in this text that the Bible says there in verse 6 that they were about halfway finished when they started to get fatigued. Isn't that how it always happens? You jump into a project, you're all excited, you're full of energy, and you get about halfway through, and you start to wonder, am I going to make it? And that's why some people never finish, whether it's in a marriage or whether you're attending a life group, volunteering for some ministry, or maybe you're just learning a new skill set. Once you get tired, once you get worn out, you start to get discouraged. The second thing that causes discouragement in our text is frustration. They said these words, there is so much 
rubble. In other words, first of all, they got tired, and then they saw all the rubble, and they thought, there's still a lot to do. We're never going to finish. And it was discouraging. The litter, the debris, the trash, the broken pieces of the wall, the broken bricks and the mortar will never finish building this wall. Rubble is anything that keeps you from accomplishing your goals. I want to say that to you again. Rubble is anything that keeps you from accomplishing your goals. Turn to your neighbor and say, rubble is trouble. Just say that. Rubble is trouble. And whatever it is that distracts you, that eats away at you being productive is rubble. Some of you said, well, I'm going to read through the whole Bible, but instead... You spend all your time on social media. That's rubble. Some of you said, well, I'm going to get in shape physically, and then you start eating potato chips. <laughs> Those potato chips are rubble. He said, I'm going to clean out my garage. I'm going, to, I'm going to clean out that closet. Yeah, you say that, but you know you get in there, you're not going to finish it. You don't even attempt it anymore. Perhaps you're trying to fix a broken relationship, and it's just you get involved. There's too many issues. There, there's too many excuses, and you keep thinking, this is, this is going to take so long. It's just frustrating. It's discouraging. The third cause of discouragement in this text is failure. They finally reached a point where they looked at all the rubble. They said these words, we cannot rebuild this wall. We simply can't do it. We failed. Failure is a major cause of being discouraged. Perhaps you were fired from work. Perhaps your marriage fell apart. Maybe your children rebelled. Maybe you didn't pass a test or exam that you thought you'd pass. Just about the time you thought you made ends meet, somebody moved the ends. You attempted fulfilling a dream that God put on your heart. You gave it your best shot. Your business went south. Your life fell apart. The question is, how do you respond to failure? How do you react when something seems impossible? Do you start blaming others? Do you blame yourself? Do you give up? Do you throw in the towel? Do you say, what's the use? Successful people never see failure as an end, but only as a temporary setback. You remember when Jesus died on that cross? He actually literally died, and they took him off the cross, and they put him in a tomb, and they put a large stone in front of the mouth of that tomb. I mean, for all practical purposes, it looked like a failure, but let me tell you this. I want you to write this down. Jesus dying on a cross was not failure. It was only a three-day setback. That's all it was. It was just a little setback. Never, 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 never give up. Remember that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Amen. And the fourth cause for discouragement is fear. Fear. Their enemies said, before those Jews even know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and we will put an end to this work. You see chapter 2, chapter 4, and you're going to see in chapter 6, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the opposition 
They ridiculed the Jews, they mocked the Jews, they harassed the Jews, they criticized the Jews, and finally here they have threatened them. They said, we will kill you. And in verse 12, the Jews who lived there said 10 times that every time you turn around, they attack us. These fears and concerns and threats were legit. Now, I've not explained this to you, but I want to show you a map just to give you a little, again, history. Uh, Jerusalem uh, is right there in the middle, and they were surrounded by people that were considered to be the enemies of God. To the north, you have the Samaritans. Uh, to the east, you have the Ammonites. To the west, you have the Ashdodites. And down south were the Arab tribes. And so I want you to think about this. The Jews have been gone for 130 years. They've been carried off into captivity. So the enemies of God had basically just taken over. And here by this guy named Nehemiah, with the blessing of the heathen king Artaxerxes, travels a 1,000 miles back to Jerusalem and begins to rebuild these walls. Think about this. Their enemies loved the fact that the Jews were carried off in captivity. The enemies loved the fact that the temple had been completely destroyed. The enemies loved the fact that the walls had been completely destroyed and that the Jews could not defend themselves. Well, if you think about this, they didn't want the balance of power in the region to shift from them back to the Jews. The last thing the enemies wanted was for those walls to be rebuilt. They would do anything, which we'll see again in chapter 6 if you're here. They'll do anything to keep these Jews from rebuilding these walls. They would do anything to discourage Nehemiah. They would do anything to discourage the Jewish people. They would do anything to keep God's people from doing a good work. Now, they had to be devious and secretive about their plans because remember, Nehemiah had the backing of King Artaxerxes why, if these nations attacked Judah, they would risk facing the full wrath of the Persian Empire. Having said all that, I want to ask you this question. What is it in your life today that you're discouraged about? Are you under attack in some form or fashion? Are you frustrated? Is anyone here fatigued? Is anyone here fearful? Is anyone here, you failed at something? Well, I guarantee you, if you're feeling discouraged today, it's probably because of one of those four things or a combination of those four things. But praise the Lord, we have a Bible. Because we didn't just read the causes of discouragement. In this text, we see the cure for discouragement. So I'm glad you're here today. Amen. Number one, write this down. Here's the first cure. You have to request God's help. And you know what this is. This is called prayer. In verse four and five in this text, he immediately prays. Now, if you've been here with us, we're in chapter four. We've already looked at three chapters. Chapter four. If you've been with us, you know that in chapter one, Nehemiah prays. We know that in chapter 2, Nehemiah prays. Guess what? In chapter 5, Nehemiah is going to pray, 
And when we get to chapter 6, guess what Nehemiah does in chapter 6? He prays. And what do you think he does here in chapter 4? He prays. And in this prayer, in chapter 4, he basically, if you read his prayer, which I read it to you, and if you look at it, he basically says, Lord, I'm going to take all this discouragement, I'm going to take all this opposition, my enemies, and I'm just going to hand them over to you, God. You deal with them. And he just hands them over. Note that he didn't give any lectures. He didn't organize a protest. He did not organize a raiding party against the enemies. He didn't put a spin on anything. He didn't thank God. He didn't write anything on Facebook. He just prayed, and he turned it over to God. When people talk bad about you, don't talk bad about them in return. You're just like the person talking bad about you. If someone talks bad about you, don't talk bad about them in return. If somebody talks bad about you, just talk to God and let God deal with it. Oh, listen to me. Anytime you decide to do God's work, the waves of criticism are going to wash over you. And when those waves of criticism wash over to you, request God's help and just let it go. It's one of the reasons why I love the fact that we're putting up these Pray for America signs all over the San Fernando Valley. I've, as I've driven around, I've seen some of you put those signs up. And if you haven't had your sign, you, you can still get them out front church, after church. You can pick one up. Because uh, I'm, I'm going to have to start mailing them to people because people are asking me to mail them to different parts of the country. So after this weekend, if you don't get your sign, I am going to start mailing those. those out. Now, now here's, what, here's what I feel. When I watch the news, not for five minutes, when I watch the news for two minutes, I get discouraged. If I look at social media for two minutes, I get discouraged. But when I pray, it's like I give all that to God, I'm no longer discouraged. Prayer is mightier than any election. Prayer is really the only solution. And people have been sending us these photos and uh, I want you, uh, when you get your sign, I want you to take a picture and you send it to us. You can send it to us on social media or send it to my Facebook page. And the Sunday before the national election, which is I think two or three weeks, is only like, election is what, three weeks away, something like that? The Sunday before the election, we're gonna have Steve Amerson come and he's gonna sing God Bless America. And we're gonna run these photographs while he's singing. Uh, and, uh, and when he's finished, and right before I preach, we're going to pray for our country here in church. So send us those photographs. It might make it to the big screen. You never know. But somehow, just the very posture of prayer, the purpose of prayer, the, the power of prayer, the person of prayer 
Discouragement, be gone. So keep praying, and all God's people said. <laughs> Number two, write this down. You have to reorganize some things in your life, okay? If you're feeling discouraged, you, you've got to reorganize some things in your life. We read there in verse 13, he said, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at all the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah in chapter 3 had already organized the people once, and now in chapter 4, he's got to organize them again. Why? Well, because a situation occurred. If the enemy was going to attack, it was probably going to be in the weakest, most vulnerable places, so Nehemiah posted guards. Anytime you post a guard, when he posted those guards, Nehemiah, first of all, uh, gave them rest because before they were working all day. Now he said, hey, I only want you to work part of the day, and the other part of the day, I'm going to let you just stand there and keep watch. So they got some of the rest that they needed. Secondly, it discouraged their enemies from attacking when they posted the guards, and thirdly, it encouraged all the people that were living with fear. There's an old saying that there's more than one way to skin a cat, and one day I want to preach a sermon on that topic. There's more than one way to skin a cat, but that's for another day. Whenever you, you are discouraged about something, you've got you've to get up and do something different, all right? Because what you're doing now is not working, so maybe you need to find a counselor. You say, well, I've already tried, tried counseling. Well, find another counselor. Just because you tried a counselor and he was bad or she was bad doesn't mean that counselors don't work. Maybe you need to find another counselor. Maybe you need to do some research on whatever it is you're struggling with. Perhaps you could start reading your Bible. I guarantee you whatever you're going through, if you would spend more time reading your Bible, you would feel better about that situation. Maybe you need to find some better friends. I know a lot of people discourage you. They just got the wrong friends. You got to find some better people to hang out with. Start getting some exercise. Instead of parking as close as you can, park as far away as you can. Get a little exercise coming into church. Get plugged into a life group or support group. Listen to Christian music. We have the largest Christian radio station in America right here in Los Angeles, 99.5 FM, KKLA. Turn your radio, set all the radio dials to 99.5 FM and listen to that while you're driving around these crazy streets. And I would add this, write this down. You need to put on your spiritual armor found in Ephesians 6. There's a whole list of weapons there that are yours. Don't leave your house in the morning without your armor. It says there in Ephesians 6 that when the day of evil comes, and I've got news for you if you don't haven't already figured this out, the day of evil is here. And the only way you'll ever be able to stand is if you have your spiritual armor on. And as the Bible says there in that text, put on the full armor of God. In other words, don't just put on part of the armor. Put on the full armor of God, the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Why, I feel sorry for you if you're trying to tackle the day-to-day -day trials of life without your armor on. 
I also feel sorry for the devil if you have your armor on because he will be defeated mercilessly if you're armored up. And the third thing that he tells the Jews to do is remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of the ridicule and the threats and the plot of the enemy. Instead, just remember the Lord and remember how great and how awesome God is. Nehemiah knew that anyone can get discouraged. He also knew that the enemy was alive and well. He also knew that people were focused in on the size of the problem instead of focusing in on the size of their God. And he needed to give them a little pep talk. He needed to say something to them that would give them hope, something that would lift their spirits. And so he said, he didn't say, hey, he didn't say this. He didn't say, hey, remember the Alamo. He didn't say that. He didn't say, remember Pearl Harbor. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, hey, remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome. I remember one time, I, I, like, I like cinnamon uh, raisin bagels. They're the best. Anything with cinnamon on it's good, amen. Well, one day I was gonna have some cinnamon raisin bagels and I put them in the toaster for breakfast. I was in a hurry, I had to get out the door. And for some reason, it was taking a long time. I couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out what was taking that bagel so long to pop out of that toaster. And I walked over there, and I was looking at it, waiting for it, and all of a sudden I saw I hadn't plugged it in <laughs> to the power source. And whose fault was that? Capital M, capital I, capital N, capital E. It was my fault. Whenever you're discouraged, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're feeling hopeless, listen to me, do not turn to drugs or to alcohol. Do not turn to binge eating. Do not turn to binge television watching or late night internet surfing. None, none of those things satisfy. None of those things take, take discouragement away. Oh, it might it might put a mask on it for a little while, but it doesn't take discouragement away. The only thing that can take discouragement away is when you turn and you look to the great and awesome God and remember his promises and remember his faithfulness, remember his goodness, remember his power. Remember the Lord your God. And as we close, the last thing I want to say this, you have to resist the discouragement you still have to resist it you see that verse 14 he says fight for your brothers this reminds me of William Wallace's speech in the movie Braveheart you've got to fight for the remember all that speech he made there you got to fight for your brothers and fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and fight for your wives and fight for your homes you remember that He's right, he's right, he says all that. In other words, he said, we gotta pray, we're gonna pray, but we're also gonna fight. We have to be willing, yes, we pray, we take things to go, but we also have to be willing to stand and fight for what's right. Discouragement is not just a feeling. Oftentimes, it's a choice. 
And you can either choose to live in despair or you can get back up on that horse, so to speak, and keep fighting. When you today exit out of these doors of this church, I want you to ask yourself, what is it that's causing discouragement in your life? Is it fatigue? Is it frustration? Is it failure? Is it fear? Is it the news? Is it the virus? Is it your health? Is it a mindset? Is it the enemy? Is it a lack of prayer? Is it a lack of spiritual armor? But once you've determined what is causing your discouragement, request God's help, reorganize your life, remember the Lord your God, and resist that temptation to give up and keep fighting for what is right and all God's people said. I want you to stand. I want to stand. I'm going to read. I'm going to read. A passage of scripture from the New Testament, and then I'll pray. I'm going to pray us out. How many of you glad you came to church today? Yeah. So how many, how many of you think you got the sermon there in Nehemiah 4? You kind of got it. You, 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 how many of you think you could take those notes? And you could probably lead a little Bible discussion. on. How many of you think you could do that? So that's, that's all the Old Testament. I want to take you to the New Testament and just read one passage, John 15. These are the words of Jesus. Four verses. Verse 18, John 15, 18, he said the, these words. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me what? So a lot of people are like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for God, and you go to work, or you go home, and someone says something, you go, ah. Well, you just got to remember, the world hated Jesus first. If the world had loved Jesus, they'd probably love you. But the world hated Jesus. They put him on a cross. They wanted to get rid of him. And so don't be surprised when people don't want to have anything to do with you because of your faith. Look at verse 19. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, why the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Do you understand that? So, you know, you look at Hollywood, and you look at the media, and it's like, it's like a Christian, oh, they will mock you till the day you die. They don't want to have anything to do. In fact, most people in Hollywood, if you come out as a Christian, you'll never work again. Why is that? Well, they don't want to have anything to do with you because the world is the world, and we live in a culture today that is that goes against the things of God. And you have to be wise as Christians, right? And uh, just remember that God, remember you used to be in that world and God called you out of that world. And when that world turns against you, it's, it, it makes sense. This is like, now look at verse 20. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant, that would be you, is greater than his master. That, well, that makes sense. But then he said this, if they, the world, persecuted me, they will also persecute 
you. So expect it. Expect it. You go to work, you go to school, you go where you live, you're going to be persecuted to some level. But don't be amazed or shocked by that because the world persecuted Jesus. And the last verse, watch this, verse 21, John 15, 21. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You and I, when we're attacked, we get up, first of all, we're here at church, shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. We're all doing what God has called us to do. The Sanballats, the Tobias, the Geshems of the world are going to come against us. They're going to come against you. You turn all that over to God, understand that that's normal. That is normal behavior for the world to turn against believers. And you just stay on that wall and you keep doing a good work. These people are only halfway done. They still got a long ways to go. Some of them got discouraged. Nehemiah said, hey, we can do this. Don't get discouraged. Remember the Lord God. Resist that temptation to be discouraged. And as we saw, they got back up on that wall and they just kept doing a good work. We'll see later in chapter 6, they finally complete their task. But they wouldn't have completed it had they fell to the discouragement that came from the enemy. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for church. I thank you for every person who's here, who's watching online, those who are outside. God, we know that we live in a very, very difficult culture. That today more than ever in our country, that the world stands in complete opposite of what we stand for. And they come against us in many different forms. In fact, we have people here today basically to make a stand and to say, God, we want to remain true to you, to your word, to your calling, to your task, no matter what. I'm thankful that we come here from all different walks of life. We're all different. We've come from all different walks of life. But God, you've called each of us out of the world. We wear your name. We bear your name. We call ourselves Christian. We belong to Christ. We're here to do a good work. And in spite of all the opposition we face, God, I ask that you would help us to resist that temptation, to give up, and to just keep doing a good work for you. I pray your blessing on every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl who's here, who's watching online. Go before us. Bring us back safely next week, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you, and thank you for coming to church today.